0: they wallow in corruption, crime and gore. Tingling ling city desk. Pull the press, pull the press. Extra, extra, read all about it. It's a mess meets the test. Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people. It's wonderful to represent the press. Now you
1: The Media Project is a half hour of commentary and analysis on what's going on in the news media. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rex Smith of the Upstate American, formerly editor of the Times Union, your host here. And let me introduce my colleagues for show number 1,701. We've crossed over 1,700 Media Project shows over the last three years.
2: I got tied around 1693. (laughs) Is that when? Yeah, so I'm not sure if I can make it through the rest of this hour. The show's an hour now,
1: isn't it? No, 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 Aaron. That's... uh, Ira Fussfeld, a formerly <laughs> editor of the Kingston Daily Freeman and affiliated publications, yes.
3: Does it feel like an hour? <laughs> it always feels like an hour.
1: Barbara Lombardo, formerly executive editor of the Saratogian and the record in Troy. And Judy Patrick being uncharacteristically silent here.
4: No smart aleck comments from me.
1: Oh no, not of course. Of the course, the show not. is young. <laughs> Judy Patrick, <laughs> formerly editor of the Daily Gazette, and at seventeen hundred and one shows, we begin our first show of the year, twenty twenty-four. So how about that? You know, it might not be a bad time then, as we weigh. Our weariness here, folks To talk about journalism burnout An interesting article written by a thoughtful Person at the Pointer Institute The journalism think tank, Kristen Hare Talks about how journalism burnout Is a fact And it does concern us I think, it should concern us Because a burned out journalist Is a less effective journalist Somebody who perhaps won't make the extra phone call To get the full range of truth Will write something easy And untrue Yet, how do you fight that when the pace of work in a newsroom can often be debilitating?
4: There's so many things we're asking reporters and editors to do. They don't just have to write stories or produce content for radio or television. They have to be on social media. They have to do filming. The other problem with burnout is they leave the profession and we're losing people because our pay is not good, but the demands on our journalists today are incredible. And I think they are heaviest on the editors. Those are the people that have to make these hard decisions about what to cover in a shrinking new staff. And they want to do the best job they can, but they do not have the resources. I think that's an overlooked group oftentimes, and I think we need to pay greater attention to their needs, especially the frontline editors. I really feel sorry for them, and I wish there was more I could do to help.
1: Do you find, by the way, frontline editors. What do you mean? What's that? Terming?
4: I mean, the people who are actually at the desk making decisions about what to cover when. They also, the editors who are making the decisions about if I have to cut a reporter, which reporter goes or what Bureau? Do I close, or how do I make a decision about covering this event over this event? They've always made those kind of decisions, but those decisions are so enormously more difficult now than they were ten years ago.
1: Flashbacks here, PTSD.
2: Are, are we limiting the journalism burnout to print journalism, and or as it's described today, or are we talking about radio stations, yeah, TV? Talk about it's that. not just the obvious reason that they burn out among print journalists as it is, is because of so many layoffs and fewer people doing what used to be done by many more people. But it's not just print and not just digital. The pressure on journalists has always been significant. You always are writing or broadcasting under a deadline, knowing that your boss is looking right over your shoulder and your listeners and readers are right there too. And every story you write might be the last if you don't fulfill an expectation of you.
4: But you know that was kind of the fun of it in many respects.
2: Well, I was going to say something like that. It was part of the job and you thrived on it.
3: Even if you were fulfilling all the expectations though, then and now, your job could be gone when you come back in in the afternoon after your lunch break. You could get laid off for no fault of your own. So I think that's part of the sense of hopelessness that people might feel in the job, that they can work their butt off. And I'm glad that you specified first line editors, Judy, because I, I'm sure that you also include reporters, because the people out trying to get the stories are working. They're missing family events. They're working weekends. They're working nights. They're often putting in more hours than they're supposed to be putting in more than they're being paid for with their meager salaries because they have a personal commitment. They want to make sure that they're doing a great job or the best job that they can.
1: So it what does, can it you pay do, all. though? What can you do about it? Especially, you know, you think about what some other professions do, peer counseling. Well, there's less of that available now because people are not working in newsrooms and because the senior reporters have gone, as you say, to other better-paying jobs, perhaps. And this is, by the way, laying aside the burnout of people who are in war zones and confronted with calamity. I made a joke about PTSD, but literally, for those people who are seeing Horrible things all the time, which some Local reporters do as well, if you're Covering death and destruction and fire And homicides and so on.
2: Well, I haven't Been in a newsroom in a long time. Do you see Any evidence of a reaction to The burnout issue, that the bosses are Aware of it and are expecting less of their Reporters? I
1: don't you know? think people are expecting less My impression is that, if anything There isn't as much time To do much about it. We used to Have social events for the newsroom And, and that helps a lot. Our newsroom At the Times Union was famous for great potluck uh, people would cook and bring in food and that was actually helpful and of course from an editor standpoint well, it also uh, keeps them uh, right near their desk they can get back
2: <laughs> well, I,
1: I oh, I'm sorry, going
3: <laughs> I was going to say part of being demoralized is that isolationism I think that occurs now in answer to your question I or I can think of anecdotally a longtime reporter for the Saratogian who left a few months ago for a communication job not in media and one of the issues was that there's no bricks and mortar place for the Saratogian or the record anymore. So you're you miss that camaraderie that Rex was referring to and peer counseling. It's a totally different type of work environment. You're working on your own and you're depending on conversations or Zooms or phone calls with hopefully with your editors. Well
2: what what I meant about unless this, this again is anecdotal to use your word, but I noticed when my newspaper, when the digital revolution began, the reporters were encouraged to take video in addition to everything else they were doing. I see much less use of video in, in the digital edition of my old paper now than there used to be. And I and I don't know the answer to this, but I'm wondering whether they said, look, we've got to make some choices, and this is something we're going to live without. And I don't know if you're experiencing any of those things.
1: Well, I think a lot of newsrooms now have specialists who are doing the uh, audio and video editing. Well,
2: that's the old days. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised to hear that because the age of the specialist seems to have disappeared.
4: Well, and also, it's hard to sell around uh, video ads. Uh, Probably the papers couldn't sell advertising around it. I think we have to lower our expectations a little bit of what we expect from journalists. And a lot of this is, in some respects, it's self-imposed, but we need to rethink what we cover, and whether everything absolutely needs to be covered all the time. I mean, We just need to change because the pressure's just going to increase. And we offer a lot of training, for example, but what I hear from editors is, I don't have time to do a one-hour Zoom. There's just no time. I mean, I think in some respects, you have to make the time. There's never been enough time in a day for an editor or a reporter, but uh, you have to sit back and think about, and um, prior to what's, un- what's important and what's not.
3: And as far as the work hours for reporters and editors getting A little bit back to that. I can remember uh, somebody worked for me for a long time and then uh, moved on to the Gazette, which would be a step up in pay and prestige and circulation, I guess. And one of the issues I, I remember having with that person was that they worked too many hours. And then, of course, when they leave, they're either not replaced at all or they're replaced by one person who's actually working the hours of one person. And so there's an unrealistic gain for a newspaper when people are putting in more than they're getting paid for. They're not considering time. Here's what the company thinks you ought to be putting in.
1: If people aren't taking the vacation that they are afforded, which is a frequent problem in newsrooms, and we probably all have done that as well, because there's a bit of this sense of, well, I can do that. Uh, You know, that's what's expected of me. But that is, there's a reason why we have vacations, and it's a good idea. The problem is that when you have this Affliction for journalists It leads to cynicism It leads to trouble getting started Low energy It just leads to bad performance And bad performance yields bad journalism One other thing I wanted
3: to mention Is another possible contributor To burnout is that people Are so open now about hating The press and Not trusting the press And to be a, a victim Of that kind of outward Disdain is, that's got to be demoralizing to be out there.
1: Yeah, that's a very interesting point. Well, mm-hmm.
2: you know, I would say that piggyback on what Judy mentioned is we always had to decide we didn't have enough people to cover everything we wanted to keep, even in the days what we might describe as full staff. And so now those decisions, again, about what we're going to cover or what we're not going to cover are more more than ever come into play. And it just it just seems to me that once you've decided what you want to cover, even if it's far less than what you'd like to cover, only go with what you're going to cover, but do it as best you can. Produce something in in your work that is so thorough so unique so so fulfilling That people will want to read it and they'll buy your newspaper or whatever outlet you're working for. Hmm.
3: Kristen here's article touched upon. It's not just journalists who suffer burnout, but lots of professions. And I think that she cited specifically educators and first responders.
1: Yeah, and 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 a lot of similarities. uh, Medical professionals, nurses, and so on. Mm -hmm.
3: Sure, and there might be things that journalism can learn from those other professions of how they are trying to help their
1: crews. We used to say that there was a similarity, a great similarity, institutionally between hospitals and newspapers. We thought because we each existed and the in the spot where errors are intolerable, and there are a hierarchy of care in effect that we're supposed to watch over that. But when you make mistakes, because you can't give up on a patient, you have to keep going no matter what the time frame is, and the same thing is true of a story. But eventually, that kind of an intolerance to human emotions and problems that are confronting those frontline responders, reporters, doctors, nurses, can yield great calamity.
4: In our case, we think democracy is our patient, you know, Mm and we feel guilt if we're not covering every single board meeting and we have to realize it's not our fault it's you know we can't be out there selling the newspapers we can't be out there selling the advertiser we can only do what we can do and you and i think uh, we can't fix the business model by ourselves. And once you accept that, I think it makes life a little less anxious for reporters on the job.
1: I like what you say, though, and this gets to the other one of the other key topics here about democracy being our patient. You know, there we've, we've talked some in this program about the formulation that I think Jay Rosen, the professor of journalism at uh, NYU, has said we need to focus on the stakes, not the game, right? That in... Uh, covering especially uh, democracy and uh, politics this year. We really can't allow coverage of how this campaign is going, who's on top, who's not, to be the dominant theme. The dominant theme has to be that voters are choosing what kind of a democracy we're going to have, right? And I think that has to be part of every story you see, and we don't We often don't get that. We get instead, well, here's an example. I mean, one of the things we want to talk about here is is that during the next Republican debate uh, next week as we speak, which is only likely to have uh, Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley on stage, Fox has decided to counter-program with a town hall featuring Donald Trump. The debate's going to be on CNN, and on Fox, you're going to have Donald Trump. Did Fox decide that or did Donald Trump decide that? Well, it sort of (laughs) doesn't matter. You know, Fox is the House organ, right? Yeah. And guess which one's going to get the higher ratings? So that is, we need to look at that as not just campaign. That has implications for democracy, doesn't it?
2: Well, he's thumbing his nose at democracy. I mean, any time you have an opportunity to hear from candidates being asked difficult questions is important for voters to make up their minds. And here's Trump stepping on the opportunity for people to listen to the other two candidates it's not it's just
3: trump doing it it's fox doing well, that's it fox the media doing edge. it for what for money and for to help them have the president that they now once again apparently want in office it's frightening
1: but they're doing it because he generates the audience don't you think Isn't oh exactly it? why yeah, yeah.
3: You know, as we sit here now, all
4: we hear about is horse race coverage. Who's ahead in the polls in New Hampshire? Who's ahead in the polls in in Iowa? How does Biden match up against Trump? It's just incessant. And, And where do either of these candidates stand on issues? who knows? And one of the problems with this kind of stakes approach or the this kind of horse race approach is it feeds upon itself. It's lazy reporting. It's easy enough to rip off a story about, you know, oh, yep, here's some numbers. We're going to do this again. We're going to write about you know, who's ahead and who's behind, how much they've gained wh- among what kind of voters. But we're not going to talk about what issues are driving those kind of results and emphasizing the fact that it's it's just a poll, a moment in time, and I almost—I sometimes think the polls are, have been the ruin of democracy.
1: Yeah, well, you—I you, think you may be right because that is one of the things that makes us focus on the odds, not the stakes. We like this; it's something you can latch onto. It's an easy story to do. Oh, who's ahead? Who's behind? But you know, I, and
2: I've talked about this in a, in a different uh, setting. But the the problem that Judy describes is mainly being created by. The cable networks and the repetitive nature of cable—they've got—they've got to fill programming. They've got to repeat the news every hour or so. The same stories that that you and I would both be mowing being run regarding polls, are still being run in uh, other news outlets, specifically print. But they—they're re- on page 13. They're not—they're not dominating a half hour of discussion. Yes, they're being reported. Here's what the poll is, but generally speaking, they're not. And once you read them, you're gone for the day from them. It's the repetitive nature of broadcast, cable news in particular, that has laid the foundation for of the kinds of ills that I think we all, all agree need addressing.
3: Yes, but what really worries me is Fox News, if there ever was an oxymoron for a name, uh, <laughs> is preventing, intentionally preventing a huge swath of the population from hearing anything but the propaganda.
1: Hmm.
4: And it's essentially giving Trump uh, a commercial. It's an hour, an hour and a half commercial, free air time. Um, They're not gonna ask him any hard questions. You know, I think whether or not the, the, the Haley-DeSantis debate is an ra- actual real debate, what what value it will have. At least it will have a little bit more value than whatever, whatever you know, show they put on on Fox. It's, yeah,
3: I'm not really interested in the Haley and DeSantis. <laughs> I think that's ridiculous also. Not also, but I don't think that's something that people are going to really benefit from watching.
1: By the way, just to note that this Fox Town Hall featuring Donald Trump will be co-moderated by Brett Baer and Martha McCallum. They are two people who are supposedly journalists at Fox News. You know, Fox aficionados often say, well, they're the commentators uh, like Sean Hannity, but that's like your newspaper editorial page, and then they're real journalists. No, they are not. Well, real we will journals. see, won't we? We will see, yes. <laughs> you know whether that's going to be live or are they going to be editing yeah. it? Mm-hmm. It's going to be live. It's and... going to be live, and he's going to be able to run away with it. And it's not at all like a real journalist who is who is the guy, a CNN anchor whom I hadn't heard of, Boris Sanchez, yeah, he's um, was, on the, uh, was on the air with the chair of the Republican Party in Maine and asked her, why is it that it's wrong— for Maine to kick Donald Trump off the ballot under the 14th Amendment. And she didn't answer it, and so he asked again, and she didn't really answer it, so he asked again. Seven times he asked and never got an answer, but I think he made the point that she was evading the answer. Now, that is, I think, what a journalist needs to do in a situation where you have uh, politicians who won't answer your questions. I don't think Brett Baer and Martha McCollum, who pose as journalists— are going to be doing that
3: can you refresh my memory has was Fox News one of the sponsors hosts of uh, one of the prior presidential GOP debates I, I think didn't I they thought that they were right, you know. didn't they uh, take
4: Trump out to lunch trying to convince him to participate in the yeah. debate that's what I thought mm-hmm.
3: and yet here when it's another station right uh, hosting a debate mm-hmm. they put on counter programming yep Worse than counter-programming.
1: So if you're just joining us, this is the Media Project from Northeast Public Radio. I'm Rex Smith. That was Barbara Lombardo you just heard, Ira Fussfeld, and Judy Patrick. We are some veteran local journalists who have some thoughts about what's going on in uh, the media generally, and we uh, ask you to share with us media at wamc.org is our email address and you're certainly welcome to uh, join us i want to bring up uh, jeffrey epstein because you know we like to do sensational stories (laughs) around here (laughs) we talk trump we talk epstein (laughs) but i'm worried about this because a couple hundred names that are connected to the sex trafficking conspiracy that uh, involve jeffrey epstein are are uh, being released and it seems to me that we have this uh hazard Of getting caught up in a story Of uh, guilt by association That is, yes, it's newsworthy Who's on the Epstein list Who is it who actually saw Jeffrey Epstein But we don't really know What was going on there And I'm a little bit concerned Because, you know Journalists and politicians Hang out with people Spend time with people Sometimes people who are uh, Of ill repute and they don't necessarily engage in those activities. Uh, so just I just, just so to for the leader,
2: reader's benefit, Jeffrey Epstein is a businessman who was a convicted pedophile who committed suicide. And he, he had an island, a private island, where he took people, both his victims and VIPs. And so the suggestion that I think you're trying to make is that the names on this list may have well been involved with Epstein but had nothing to do with what Epstein was convicted of.
1: And that's what concerns me, and it's hard to get that across in a story that just lists the names. Oh, yeah, of course, uh, we know that Prince Andrew is going to be on there because there's uh, been a lot written about his apparent predilection for engaging in some of this. I
3: have a confession to make. I've never been there. Nobody I know has been on on his island. <laughs> oh. My confession would be if I were still running a newspaper— that I would be kind of looking forward, I would be preparing to publish those names. Right. And part of it is, uh, like, would the list, would it be salacious? Is it salacious? Is it disappointing? Because the names are not new. I, I think that there is newsworthiness But as you're saying, Rex, you have to be able to put those names in context. But what I read about the impending release of the names is that there really isn't going to be any surprises, that anybody whose name is being published has already been mentioned in some way, shape, or form in all the proceedings, public records that have been uh, revealed so far. Right. So to,
4: so far, the traditional media has done a fairly good job of putting this all in context. The initial, the first release didn't have a list per se. It had, it had references to people throughout the hundreds of pages that were released. So there was no real list, but it was no real surprises there. Julie Brown, the Miami Herald reporter who is who is credited with you know bringing uh, Epstein to justice, I follow her and her reporting on it, and you know she likes to make the point in this media frenzy about the names, let's not lose sight of the fact that what was happening was pedophilia, that Jeffrey Epstein was victimizing girls that were 12, 13, 14. Um, and there's some real crimes because what you're seeing on social media, a lot of joking around, a lot of false accusations, and a lot of um, uh, condemning people by association, which Rex mentioned earlier. You have to put it in context. You know, former President Clinton's name is in the documents, former President Trump's name is in the documents, but you need to find the context. It's not like they were on a list that, you know, of party animals. That's not, and I think. The traditional media, so far, it's early in the game, is doing a good job of doing that.
3: I would agree because even what I'd been reading about it, so President Clinton, President Trump's names were mentioned, and it and it clarifies in whatever article I was following up on a couple of that, paragraphs later, yeah, yeah, that they were not <laughs> clearly involved in the. Stuff that was so digital,
2: you're yeah. sitting at your desk in Saratoga Springs and, and somebody of authority who you trust comes in and here's the, here's the list, there's a hundred names on it. Do you print it? Do you look to see if there's any local names on it? Or do you say, okay, there's a list. All, all we know is he went to this island with this guy, but it doesn't mean he engaged in any any of the transgressions. What is our responsibility as mainstream journalists to, regarding
3: having a copy of this list? Well, I would definitely look for local connections. <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's, that's our, our Every story is a local <laughs> story. All right, so you found that the uh, that
2: the mayor of uh, one of your townships is is uh, on that list. Doesn't suggest he did anything or she did anything. But then
3: we can. But then we could try to contact that person and find out. Go knock yeah, on okay, the doors. Okay, so now
2: you've done you've done that. You've asked the questions and you write the story. Do you think your readers will say, okay, that settles that, or are they going to say, oh, guilt by association? Um, that
3: is a danger of this profession. What you're suggesting, yes, guilt by association is a Terrible thing so that can happen to people.
2: We know that we do that. What are, should we be doing? That? What's a yeah. mayor of a
4: small town in Saratoga well, no, County I'm, doing flying to the island? I'm, really my, uh, is.
2: my my examples are not as precise, <laughs> 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 but it is it is difficult. Oh, excuse me. So although Saratoga Springs, helps a lot of rich people who go to the racetrack. Sure. Oh wouldn't, yes. Wouldn't the be surprised if many of them were on the list. Streets are paved with gold. Yeah. As our former
1: owners tell us. One of the difficulties of covering Saratoga Springs, of course, is the. Uh, Because the vulnerable voices, the poor folks, often don't get uh, noticed, or they do perhaps by the media locally that aren't picked up by those who are just out of town and only see it as a horse racing. This
3: is true. But what would you say? You were a publisher. What would you do?
2: I would be very conflicted about it. I mean, we we have these names of people who may or may not be in our community, and whether or not they are in our community are we simply going to regurgitate the names without having any idea whether they ought to be regurgitated? Yeah, I, I mean, think that's Epstein a, that's made a, a lot of question. money doing what I presume was legal business entirely apart from his transgressions. And so it's certainly possible that you could have been de- had dealings with Epstein that had nothing to do with what he got in trouble.
3: From. Well, a lot of papers across the country that would get this information would be getting it from a higher, a higher source of probably uh, from the Associated Press or from the New York Times and its wire services. Well, so I'm going to Associated Post. Press. And then we would hope that for the overall names that the people that the smaller publications are relying on, that they've done some of that vetting of the what's what the list is about. They're not just providing a cold.
1: Okay, then. Um, um, oh, we are going to have to make that the are last one. Are you serious, we are we, wow. <laughs> We go it's from... Hour, uh, this right? was
2: show 1701 <laughs> wow.
1: and two. We go from burnout to Jeffrey Epstein, and we get a little bit of uh, beating up on Fox News in the middle of it. That's good. That's, uh, that's all. Ira Fussfeld is there, Barbara Lombardo, uh, Judy Patrick, and I'm Rex Smith. Thanks to our producer, David Gustina, and to you folks for joining us this week on The Media Project.
0: Mercedes on ting-a-ling-a-ling, city desk Hold the press, hold the press Extra, extra, read all about it It's a mess, meets the test Oh, newspapermen meet such interesting people Like the richest girl who could not bake a cake Ting-a-ling, ting-a-ling, a ling a ling Now, newspapermen are such interesting people They used to work like hell just for romance
2: The Media Project is a national production of WAMC, Northeast Public Radio. This week's projectors include former Times Union editor and current Substack columnist of the Upstate American Rex Smith, Judy Patrick, former editor of the Daily Gazette and vice president for editorial development for the New York Press Association, Barbara Lombardo, the former editor of the Saratogian and a journalism professor at the University at Albany, and Ira Fussfeld, publisher emeritus of the Daily Freeman. You can listen to The Media Project anytime at wamcpodcast.org or anywhere you get your podcast. I'm your producer, David Gustina. Thanks for listening.
0: Now publishers are such interesting people. Their policy is an acrobatic thing. They claim to represent the common people. It's funny, Wall Street never has complained. Ah, but publishers have worries, for publishers must go to working folks for readers and to big shots for their dough. Now publishers are such interesting people. It could be prostitution, I don't know. Ting-ling-ling, circulation, tingling ling, advertising, get those readers, get that payoff. What a headache, what a mess. Oh, publishers are such interesting people. Let's give three cheers for freedom of the press.